Well, praise the Lord. Man, that's, that's quite a spirit in this room tonight, isn't there? Absolutely love it. After driving all afternoon and coming here, having no idea, having never been in this church before, uh, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is moving in this place tonight. And I don't know what all he's doing, but I hope all of us catch it before we leave tonight. I hope that virus of the Spirit of God is really caught and, uh, and reach these people all over. Give the crowd, uh, give the choir and the worship leaders, uh, just give them a hand. Would you do that? They've done a great job. Well, I'm very humbled and very grateful to be here tonight. Um, I had a few minutes with your pastor beforehand. I really am impressed at how uh, he has planned and laid out this whole Ignite uh, series of, of services and messages and uh, it's really amazing how uh, you avoided a storm and still had the event, still had the nights uh, of worship. It's really how God works that thing out for us is an amazing thing. And, and I can tell you've been touched already in a powerful way. Uh, I'm really impressed by his heart, his passion, his love for this church, and his love for old Ford trucks, too. It's true. Uh, I, I came in a couple of hours early and was driving around the parking lot trying to find the front door. But before I found the front door, I found the back door and parked outside the back door is that F-250. So when he wanted to show that to me, I told him, Pastor, I've already been all around that truck. I, I already know a lot about that truck. And um, you got to love the guy that loves Ford trucks, old, old Ford trucks particularly. And uh, that's kind of that's what I am. So uh, privileged to be here, thankful to be here with you uh, tonight. I have a friend uh, and his wife here tonight, Matt Tyson's right here at the back. Would you wave, Matt? And his wife, Sarah, they served on staff with us uh, in one conversation, which is uh, part of an evangelism ministry we have. He's now an executive pastor at Summer Grove in Shreveport. So we're drawing from a several state area tonight, and that's a good thing as well. If you have your Bibles tonight, please take them and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 is where I'm going to focus, but I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read all the way through uh, verse 6 or 7. Um, and in just a moment, I'll have you stand with me as we read God's Word. Uh, but I want you to know that you are living in a very unusual era. Uh, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that you are glad that you made it through 2020, aren't you? You really are. And then you realize that 2021 wasn't going to be much better, right? Uh, we had Snowmageddon last week uh, at, at our church, and our church was flooded. We shut down a week ago Sunday. Our church was flooded, pipes burst. We spent all week. 24 hours a day trying to evacuate about 100,000 square foot of facilities that were flooded in several inches of water in order to open up on Sunday. And I mean, it just keeps going, it just keeps going bad. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I told somebody the other day, the only person that likes 2021 better than 2020 is Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's about it. I mean, you know, he's the only one that's really experienced anything good in 2021. But it's really incredible how churches have uh, adapted to the pandemic and then to different things that are coming up. It's never been more complicated to be involved in the church, never been more complicated to be involved in life, and yet the mission that God gives us must still go forward. No matter what the challenges are, no matter how difficult it is, we have a pretty incredible mission in front of us. And that mission is to make sure that everybody around us knows the gospel of Jesus Christ. And tonight as we look at a passage where Paul is writing to Timothy, we'll uh, learn a few things about that. By the way, uh, I think my biography that you've read uh, lets you know that I have a hearing impairment. 
So tonight, when you say amen, I need you to say it loud. Uh, let's, let's give it a shot. One, two, three. Amen. Uh, that helped. Now, it helps that I can see your lips move. Some of you, anyway, you have masks on, some of you, but you'll have to shout louder for me, all right? I just need that help because I do have a hearing impairment, and it's pretty cool to be able to hear it. Um, Restaurant eating out has been challenging for me for the whole last 12 months because everybody has a mask on, right? So the waiter comes up and the waiter offers several things before you actually get to order. They, they offer something to drink. They offer, you know, some sort of an appetizer. And I've had appetizers I've never ordered before in my life. And, and one, one night I had someone offer me uh, a margarita and I didn't know that's what they said. And I said yes, and my wife stopped it right there and said, no, he doesn't want a margarita. I want you to know I did not have that margarita, but not being able to hear people in a pandemic is a particularly challenging thing to me. So I've just taken to the fact that if you're talking to me, I say, pull it down. If we get sick, we get sick, but I'm not going to be able to hear you uh, if you don't pull that mask down. And so I've kind of had to deal with that just a little bit. All kinds of challenges that we face during the course of this year. But one of the greatest challenges that we'll ever face is the one of taking the gospel to people that have never heard before and they never will hear the good news of Christ without a powerful witness of the New Testament church. That's why the New Testament church has to keep moving forward. That's why we have to keep our mission in front of us. And Paul is writing to Timothy, reminding him of that mission. Let's stand together as I read a few verses out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. As we open this text, I want you to notice some of the uh, words that Paul uses to set the scene for what he's about to say to Timothy. He opens by saying, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and in his kingdom. Now that's a pretty strong opening line. I solemnly charge you in the presence of Jesus Christ. He's going to come. He's going to judge the world. You need to listen to what I'm going to say to you, Paul is saying to Timothy. He goes on and says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myth. And then in verse 5, he begins to center in on Timothy's responsibility. All those first four verses are incredible verses. I'm not going to preach on those, but what incredible verses to remind us of the priority of the Word of God. But when we get to verse 5, he says to Timothy, But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I, Paul said, am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And get this next line. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He opens this section by saying, I charge you in the presence of Jesus Christ. He ends it by saying, all who love his appearing will receive this reward. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you that you allow your Holy Spirit to illuminate this text. Let me be faithful as I share words about the text, letting the text convict us and direct us and speak to us so that when we leave this room tonight, we will know exactly what has been told to Timothy by this apostle 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that your kingdom can be advanced and that your gospel will be made known. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's great. Be seated if you would. So if you have your finger on the text, you're going to stick around verse 5 and 6 because those two verses are going to be what I emphasize tonight. Verses 1 through 4, awesome verses. Um, I know that we can spend a lot of time on those verses. Your pastor probably has done that more than once because this is the classic text for how badly we need the Bible, the Word of God. But as we move past that, we get to the place of understanding that no matter how much we prioritize the Word of God, if we do not also prioritize the gospel, we fall short. Now, the gospel is found in the Word of God, but the gospel is the good news in the Word of God for those that are far from God, and unless they hear it, they can never come to God. And that's why we must be able to move forward, and it takes a lot to move forward with the gospel in any culture, but certainly in this culture today. I've entitled this message, Fight, Focus, and Finish. And those are my three points, so it's going to be really simple. If you want to write three words down that this text really uh, highlights, it's those three words. Paul's going to talk to Timothy about what he needs to fight for. He's going to talk to him about what he needs to focus on. He's going to talk to him about how he needs to finish well. And, and really, every person in this room is going to be implicated with the words that Paul is sharing to this young pastor named Timothy, who is pastoring the first megachurch in history in the city of Ephesus. It's amazing how young he is, yet he's the disciple of Paul, and now Paul writes back to him saying these three things, fight, focus, and finish. So let's start with the word fight, and let's talk about that for a moment. The first part of verse 5 says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship. Now, we, we say that we struggle a lot in church life today, and we do. Most of those in ministry know a man by the name of Jimmy Draper who pastored at First Baptist Church Euless for about 18 years before he went on to uh, what we know now, now know as uh, Lifeway. He's now retired. He's back in our church. And, and he was a part of a long-range planning group that we had. And one of the things that he said to me in, in the course of that long-range planning group, he said, I would not want to pastor today. I wouldn't want to lead a church today. And I said, Brother Jimmy, you're one of the greatest pastors ever. Why would you say that? He said, because the decisions you have to make on a daily basis are far beyond anything we had to, to do. We, we never had to make decisions like that. He said, we had one translation of the Bible, the King James Version, one hymn book, one order of service. You know what it is, worship pastors, three hymns and a prayer and a special and, war, and the offerings and then preach. That, we did that every week. We had one kind of Sunday school curriculum, the Sunday school board. We didn't have any decisions to make. We opened the doors. We did the same thing every week. And, uh, and God blessed in a great way. But today you guys have to figure out everything every day. You have all kinds of decisions to make. And it's right. He's right. He's correct. It is a more complicated thing these days to do church, to be together, uh, to be able to move forward together. And sometimes it's a battle. I want you to remember that in days of Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus, persecution was the problem. It wasn't a pandemic, it was persecution. People might not show up on a Sunday morning, 
but sometimes it was because they had already died from persecution or they were maimed because of persecution or they were fearful they would lose their life because of persecution. So we feel like we're all starting all over again and trying to populate our churches and reach people for Jesus Christ and even be able to share the gospel from at least six feet away. But these folks were dealing with all kinds of issues that were extremely serious. And, and Paul says to Timothy, you've got to learn to fight. You're going to have to fight through things to advance this kingdom. You be sober. In all things, endure hardship. And specifically, he says, you pastor, you need to be sober and endure hardship. Now, he's not talking about alcohol there, even though Paul would not want Timothy to be drunk, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you need to be laser focused. You need to be serious about the calling you have. You need to make sure that, that you do everything you can as a steward of the mysteries of Christ to advance the gospel in good times and in bad times. No matter what the time is, you've got to advance the gospel. That's your calling. And that calling is more important than anything else in your life once you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now notice the focus is on Timothy. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you don't find Paul writing to the, the church at Ephesus. He writes to Timothy, his son in the faith. He doesn't say Timothy and the deacons or Timothy and the elders. He doesn't say Timothy and the church. He says, unlike a lot of other letters, he says just to that one person, Timothy, who was leading that church, I want to talk to you, you. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. One person. And he specifically says you need to fight in order to advance the kingdom. Now, battles are not foreign to us in Scripture, right? You go through the Old Testament, you find all kinds of amazing battles. Uh, David and Goliath comes to mind. Many, many other battles in the Old Testament uh, would come to mind. But in the New Testament, you have all kinds of admonitions to go to war as well. Let me remind you of some of those verses. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline or sound mind. We're, we're familiar with that text. Or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I mean, he's bombarding Timothy with these lines. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Go to Ephesians 6, and you, you see Paul giving us detailed descriptions of the armor of God. And he says, put it all on. Having done all, stand firm. Be sure you're standing firm. Be sure that you have on your feet the shoes of the gospel of peace. The, the idea behind that is the Roman soldier had, had a sandal, and those sandals were spikes so that he could stand firm against the onslaught of the enemy, and never give up an inch. And Paul basically says, don't give up an inch of the ground you've already covered. Make sure you do not back down. You do not back off. You do not stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're in a battle. You're asking me if I'm maybe here just to preach to your pastor with this text. But it's incredibly important for you to understand what he is called to do so that you can help him do that. He can't do that without you. No leader can do without the team around him. We mentioned Tom Brady a moment ago. 
He has a team around him. Every quarterback, every leader has a team around him. It's incredibly important for us to understand the calling on a pastor's life to, to urge us forward, to propel us forward, to even make us a little uncomfortable sometimes with the conviction the Holy Spirit brings when certain passages and certain direction is given so that we can move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know you have a pastor that has that kind of heart and that kind of willingness. He's a great shepherd. But know that that's what he's under. Paul said, fight to Timothy. You've got a battle ahead of you. And so I say to the congregation everywhere, be encouraging, be supportive, be involved, and pray. I've pastored for about 38 years now. I know what it's like to be resisted when I believe that God is calling us to move the ministry forward. I also know what it's like to be supported. And I have to tell you, there's a world of difference in what happens in a church when a leader is supported well, prayed for, encouraged, and others come alongside him and say, let's go, let's take this city for Christ. All the difference in the world. There's a reason Timothy didn't, didn't just keep this letter private. There's a reason under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit we all get to read what Paul wrote to Timothy so we could come alongside the pastors that God gave us. But let me just say this to you as a church, and, and I know your pastor already knows this. If you make a commitment to sharing the gospel with your community, if you make a commitment to evangelism, you are entering a war zone. And that's why many churches, by the way, don't do that. They don't want to go to war. They don't want to go to battle. They don't want to become un uncomfortable or inconvenienced. But that's part of the calling. It's to not be so comfortable with our surroundings and our world that we're not willing to take a step forward and share good news with people that may not see it as good news. I heard a statement a number of years ago that has really helped me over the years with the battles that I face as a Christian as a neighbor, as a pastor, here's the statement. Every battle you face is ultimately going to be a battle designed to keep you from advancing the gospel. Every battle you face. Because you're calling here on the planet. The reason God doesn't just whisk you up to heaven to be with him right now is you have a job to do. And part of that job is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. To be able to one day stand before him and, and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so it's important for you to know that if you're not moving forward, if you're being hindered, if you're in battle, it's designed to keep you from advancing the gospel. That's why Satan throws all kinds of barriers in front of us, all kinds of confusing tactics, all kinds of problems that we encounter. Because if Satan can shut the church down, he keeps the community lost. But if we battle well, if we fight well, if we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, the community hears Christ. And here's about Christ, and we win the war. Now that involves being courageous. It involves being prayerful. Years ago, John Piper made a statement, you cannot know what prayer is for until you learn that life is war. And that's spoken to me over the years as well. When I understand that I'm in a battle, that I'm actually doing battle in my neighborhood because I'm surrounded by people that don't know Christ. I have Muslim neighbors on my right-hand side. When I look out my front door, Muslim neighbors on my left-hand side. I've got people from all the world religions in my cul-de-sac, a very international neighborhood. I mean, we have some Methodists that live across the street. They're probably the strangest ones that we have on our whole block. 
And I know that if I'm not advancing conversations with my neighbors, I know if, if somehow I don't have a great relationship with some of those neighbors that have never heard about Jesus and won't if I don't tell them, I know that I'm in a battle of sorts because it's incredibly important for me to share the gospel with them. And I actively do that. I actively plan for that. I was shoveling snow the other day for the chance to share the gospel when I'd really rather not have shoveled snow. People live in Texas, live in Texas to not shovel snow, right? So I'm doing that because these elderly uh, Islamic neighbors need to hear the gospel, and I'm building relationships with them. And it's a great thing to be able to do that. But you learn to pray. You learn that you're in battle. You learn you're in war. And you learn it's not going to be easy. But it's important to fight. I read a great article a few years ago. I've kept the article. Um, it was an article about a church in, in uh, El Paso, Texas. And uh, it met in a strip center, uh, you know, a, a retail strip center. And on one end of that strip center was uh, an open store, and they rented that open store, and they began to meet there. On the other end with this massive bar that was uh, occupied at all hours, literally, and filled with gangs and all kinds of kind of, uh, kind of interesting and, and wicked, evil, mean people. And they made it no secret that they wanted to shut the church down. And so as this church began to grow, uh, the bar owner one day came down to visit with the pastor and said, look, we're going we're gonna to get rid of you one way or another because our bar is growing and we want to have the whole shopping center. So you're going to have to leave. And the pastor said, well, do what you, whatever you want to do. You do it. But God is with us. We're not moving. I'm a note to the pastor. While this battle was going on, the FBI was in investigating the bar owner and the drugs and the prostitution that was going on uh, in that bar. And by the time this little battle is over, the bar is gone. And the owner of the buildings comes to the pastor and said, you can have the whole shopping center now. And now they fill it three times on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. You can say amen to that. I mean, that's, that's war. And war happens in the kingdom. Paul says to Timothy, fight. I don't know what fights that you have in front of you. I don't know what battles that you have to face. But I want you to know it's okay as a believer in Jesus Christ, in the spirit of Christ, in the attitude of Christ, to stand firm, to fight the battles it takes to move forward the gospel with your church in this community. With 80,000 567 people. That was the 2019 census. Last they checked. A lot of people without Christ. The second word is the word focus. Make sure you're fighting for the right things and then focus in the right way. He says in the latter part of verse 5, do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry. And the reason Paul writes this is because Timothy might be consumed with meeting other needs in this huge megachurch at Ephesus, so consumed with the needs that others are voicing that they have, that he might forget this important one. So, Timothy, make sure you're sober, make sure you're focused, make sure you do the work of an evangelist. The last 30 or 40 years, I think churches have struggled to put that out there as the main thing. We do a whole lot of things in church life. We, we meet a whole lot of needs in church life. We, we please a whole lot of people in church life. But the reality is we cannot forget to do the work of the evangelist to advance the gospel forward. Because if we do, we're missing the priority that Jesus gave us. Now we know Jesus' great commission, Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. 
And I'm going to read that again just to, to make sure that you are refreshed on that. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Jesus' great commission. It's not the last thing he said to them, though. And at the ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. It's basically a reiteration of the Great Commission. But this time he says, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to allow you to be courageous and bold and fight the battles you need to fight and focus on the thing you need to focus on. The Holy Spirit is not... Someone that just comforts us, but he empowers us and emboldens us to share the gospel of Jesus. And he goes on and says, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. But it all begins right here. D.A. Carson, uh, a, a kind of a modern scholar, said this about that line. He said, to do the work of the evangelist is an exhortation to engage in evangel ministry, in gospel ministry and evangelism. So what this means is not solely to do evangelism, but the work of the gospel, which includes preaching the gospel. It includes sharing the gospel. And it also includes equipping the congregation to be able to take the gospel wherever they are, in their neighborhoods in their relationships, and their friendships. I mentioned the calling of the gospel a few moments ago. If you took time to go through the epistles, then you would see every time Paul talks about his call, he says, I'm called to the gospel. I'm called to the gospel. We all have different assignments, but the call, the overriding call, the umbrella call that's on all of our lives that have been touched by the gospel is the call of the gospel to share our story, to share our testimony, to share the good news with people that haven't heard it before. So that call is very evident in what he's saying to Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And as you know, to fulfill something means to do it. Not talk about it, not write about it. Not just pray about it, but in addition to all those other things, to do it. To do the work of the evangelist. My wife is a kind of an introvert. Um, she is, uh, she's the last person that wants to be on the stage. She's the last person that wants to be in a crowd. She's just really quiet, and she's, she's got so much wisdom. She's an incredible lady. Mother of our six children. I mean, the most beautiful person on the planet. I mean, all those things. She's not even here, and I say that, but I really believe that. And she says, when you preach about evangelism, it makes me uncomfortable. I said, well, baby, I'm not going to stop. She goes, you shouldn't stop. She said, I should be uncomfortable. I should be under conviction. It's hard for me to come out of my shell and share the gospel, but I'm going to do it every time I can. Don't stop. And sometimes we get uncomfortable for that reason, for the reason of moving us out of that comfort zone to the place of saying, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what I'm going to have to do, but I do know that I want to be faithful in the end with the gospel that saved me. We know the ministry of the gospel is being neglected today. Let me give you some reasons why I believe that's so. Let me give you six reasons. You don't have to write them down. You'll know them. As soon as I say them, you'll know uh, intuitively that it's correct, that it's being neglected. The gospel is being neglected because 95% of believers have never shared their faith. That's how we know it's being neglected. It's being neglected because we, we, we decline in the number of baptisms that churches actually have as a result of people coming to Christ. We're baptizing fewer and fewer. We know it's being neglected because of the decrease of passion for the lost 
we're not weeping over them the way we once did or praying for them the way we once did. We just think it is what it is. We know the gospel is not being shared because of the absence of God consciousness. Think about secular culture today and a total absence of God consciousness where if we share the gospel, at least people have this consciousness that there is a a greater being that we call God who, who has truth and shares truth, but people are not aware of that today in part because we don't share the gospel. We know we've neglected the gospel ministry because of increasing relativism. That is, we don't even have a real barometer of truth anymore. Truth is what we want it to be. We make it out to be what we feel it is instead of knowing there is a truth that's absolute that God has given us because we don't share the gospel about this God who is absolute. We know that we don't share the gospel much because of the antagonism against Christianity, you have increasing antagonism just because people want to live the life that Christ called us to, and people are antagonized by that. They don't want to hear that because not enough of us are sharing that. There's a lot of reasons for us to see the evidence of the lack of being focused on the gospel, but the bottom line is no matter what the evidences are, we all just have to simply say we're going to focus on the gospel. It's very convicting to me that we write a lot of books about sharing the gospel, but we don't really lead movements of the gospel. I mean, I've read all the books I can handle, folks. I mean, I I don't want to read any more books about the gospel. I don't want anybody to give me a new definition of the gospel. I don't need another moniker, another name. I don't need another uh, celebrity pastor to, to try to make the gospel more beautiful than it already is because he can't do that or she can't do that. But what I do want us to do is to obey the gospel and to share the gospel. And that's what this world needs right now. Do the work of an evangelist. Here's a statement for you. The future of the world depends on the average believer being able to proclaim the message of the gospel. The future of the world does not depend on me as a pastor. Does not depend on you as a pastor. Well, we'd be in trouble if it just depended on us, just pastors. It depends on the average believer. Now, in this room, we're all average believers. It depends on us. It depends on us to care enough, to love it enough, to love Christ enough, to love our neighbors enough to say, I want to find a way that I can help people around me know how to have their sins forgiven, how to have the gift of eternal life. It depends on the average believer being able to proclaim the message of the gospel and if that is true why don't we train our people more to share it because if we don't equip them no one will and if they don't share then no one will be saved i've come, i've become convinced over the last few years that sharing the gospel is really really simple and really really easy and sometimes people say well i don't know what i would uh, what i would do if i got into a really heavy conversation with someone and they asked me very difficult questions about about god or about heaven or hell or sin or the cross. I don't know what I would do. And and I think it's very simple. And I usually say to people, if you can spell, you can share the gospel. If you can spell the word gospel, you can share it. Anyone want to spell the word gospel? I'll go ahead and do that. I mean, I don't don't see any quick hands right here. I might misspell the word gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. I want you to say a few words with me because I want you to see how easy it is for you to know the components of the gospel. And if you can spell, you can share the gospel. So let's take the letter G. God's character is what G stands for. Say those two words with me. 
God's character. G is God's character. God is a loving, merciful God who doesn't want to punish us for our sin, but he's a just judge who will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. God's character. O stands for the offense of sin. Say those two words. Offense of sin. Say it again. Offense of sin. The reason we need God's mercy is because we sin against this holy God. We're separated from him. And because we're separated from him, there's no way for us to bridge the gap between God and man. There's no way for us to be good enough, perfect enough. That's, we're, we're way too late for that. There's no way for us to be religious enough. There's no way for us to be saved apart from God's mercy. So God's character, always offensive sin. S stands for the sufficiency of Christ. That's a tough word. Let's say that together. Sufficiency of Christ. One more time. Sufficiency of Christ. Don't ask me to spell it. Just say it, all right? The sufficiency of Christ means that, that God sent Jesus to die on the cross, and he lived such a perfect life, and he laid his life down as a, a sinless, selfless sacrifice for us, that God accepted that in the heavens. In fact, Isaiah chapter 50 2 and 53 and all the way through Isaiah 50s, we find these great atonement passages where it says God was pleased to bruise his son, where it says the wrath of God was satisfied. The sufficiency of Christ means that God did what he needed to do in forgiving us because of Jesus' sufficient sacrifice. So we're at three letters right now. God's character, offensive sin, sufficiency of Christ. Now let's take a midterm exam right now. Those three phrases, are you ready? I'm going to say them out loud. G stands for the char God's character. O stands for offense of sin. S stands for sufficiency of Christ. Let's do it again. I mean, I want us all to pass. We can all pass, okay? G stands for God's character. O stands for S stands for Sufficiency of Christ. That's good. P stands for personal response. We personally respond to what Jesus did on the cross by turning from our sins and putting our faith in Jesus. And no matter how incredible the sacrifice was, and no matter how free the offer is, you have to make a personal response for you to receive that gift. Right? So he offers the personal response of repentance and faith. E stands for eternal urgency. Say those words. Eternal urgency. The reason this is important is because it's life and death. It's because people will die one day, and when they die without Christ, they will be eternally separated from God. But if they are in Christ, they will be eternally with Him forever and ever. It's going to be amazing. Amazing grace we sing about when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. All kinds of amazing things happen. And that's why it's so eternally urgent that we share the gospel with people. We don't often think about this and how lost people are and how desperate they, they need to be even though they don't know it. And how desperate we should be that they, know, that they come to know Christ. And then the last letter of the gospel, L, is life transformation. Our lives are changed. Say those two words. Life transformation. We're not just saved as fire insurance. We're saved to serve Him. For we are His workmanship, Paul says in Ephesians 2, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So let's see if we can spell it right now, okay? I think most of us in this room can get this. I'm watching your lips. Those of you that let me see those lips, I, I'm watching them, and I think you got it, all right? You ready to go? G stands for... 
O stands for? S is? P stands for? Personal response. E stands for? Eternal urgency. L stands for? Life transformation. If you can spell, you can share the gospel. Well, that doesn't mean that you sit down with your neighbor and, and say, let me write this out for you. But it means in your conversation with your neighbor, you cover the basics. It means that if you in 15 minutes, it wasn't 15 minutes, it was, 10, it was five minutes. If you in five minutes can understand some of the components of the gospel, you can share the gospel as everyday believers and when we put those words together and we put the gospel message together, then all of a sudden, all the Bible study we've ever done, all the messages that we've ever heard, all of a sudden they begin to fall into place. Oh, that's why pastor preached about the character of God. Oh, that's why we always talk about the cross. Oh, that's why we always say that we're lost and, and there's not one of us that's saved apart from Christ. Oh, that's why we talk about repentance and faith. It all fits into the place of being able to say, it's the gospel. Focus on the gospel. Don't waste any time. Be sure you learn to share it. So we have this amazing focus that we're called to. And you know, a gospel-centered church is not a, gospel, a church where the preacher just preaches the gospel, but it's one where the people share the gospel in the everyday context. Pastors ought to preach the gospel, but people ought to be able to share it in everyday context. So Paul's saying this to the church and to Timothy. Live this. Live it out. Learn to be bold. Learn to be in the fight. Learn to be focused so that everything we do includes making sure the gospel is shared. Just as you mentioned earlier tonight, you fed people, but you also gave them the gospel. You love on them, but you also give them the gospel. You shovel their snow, but you also give them the gospel. You do whatever you do, but you also give them the gospel because shoveling snow will never save anybody. Feeding someone will never save anybody. But while you do those things and share the gospel, that's going to save people. Focus. Now to focus, you have to have a process. You have to slow down and say, how are we going to focus on making sure people are equipped to share the gospel. A few years ago, I was in India, and um, I was astounded by some of the people I met in India. India doesn't have, uh, in the regions I was in, they did not have the technology we have. They didn't have the ability to print literature. I met some pastors that were trying to get the gospel from village to village uh, using bicycles. Many of them had been through all kinds of persecution. I've seen machete marks on pastors who had been beaten with machetes and run out of the village, but who have gone back to those villages in order to share the gospel. Um, I, I've watched what they've done. They have incredible vision of how they're going to reach their one billion people. And I met a guy one time who came up to me, and he did have a, a tract, if you will, printed up, and he handed it to some of us pastors who were visiting. And in that tract, which was uh, translated into somewhat broken English, it, it made it plain that he was planning on planting 10,000 churches in villages. Now, I'm all for big vision, but this little guy standing in front of me says he's going to plant 10,000 churches. And I remember looking at the leader that was giving us the tour, and I said, is this guy for real? He goes, well, I guess he is. He's already planted 2,000 of them. I go, whoa. I need to learn some lessons from him. And I came back home with a passion to 
put some of those lessons to work. To get a process. Not to plant 10,000 churches, but to equip as many people as I can to share the gospel. We started equipping people to share the gospel. We kind of put things together and how I like to share the gospel. We said we're going to train our people to do that. And before long, hundreds were sharing the gospel on a weekly basis. And hundreds were coming to Christ. Ultimately, about 1,000 people were trained to share the gospel. And the stories of, of people coming back, having shared the gospel with relatives and friends, were amazing. It, it really began to spark revival in our hearts and our church, a gospel revival. One lady named Lynn, about 60 years old or so, and her elderly father was on his deathbed. She said, I've never been able to bring myself to share the gospel with him. Never been able to broach the conversation. Always intimidated by what he might say. I've watched him reject the gospel and reject uh, my mother's attempt to share the gospel over the years. But he's on his deathbed. And now that I know how to share the gospel, I don't have any excuse. Pray, pray for me. And, and the next week she came back and she was glowing. She was just lit up. And I knew what the answer was going to be when I asked her how to go. She said, for the first time in my life, my dad listened to me and he accepted Christ and he died a day later. And I'm celebrating because I'll see him again one day. Ain't that awesome? You can say amen right now too. That's a great time to say amen. Lost people come to Christ when everyday Christians learn to share the good news with them. I would never have been invited to talk with her 80-year-old father. He wouldn't have let me in the room. Nobody else would have been able to go in there. But that daughter said about that dad, Dad, I've got something to share with you that's the most important thing I'll ever share with you in, in your whole life and in my whole life. And here it is. And he heard it. And he came to faith in Christ. That's what happens. And people begin to be vibrant. They begin to be excited about their faith because they're seeing that faith being reproduced in somebody else's life. And then they kind of adopt them and grow them into discipleship and, and help them learn to pray, read the scriptures and all the other things that we've learned to do as believers over the year. And it's refreshing and it's powerful. And that's why we have to focus on it. Because it has an incredible impact on the church. There's a guy named Devin Lewis who uh, attended our church and, and grew up in our church. Devin is a football player, or was a football player, for the Trinity Trojans, a high school football team. Uh, the school is right across the street from our high school. Uh, and Devin's African-American. He's about 6'8". Uh, when he's got his afro out, he's at least 7'2". <laughs> I remember baptizing him, wondering if I was ever going to get him out of that water. I'm a big dude, but I mean, he was, he's a bigger dude, right? He kind of looks like the rock, a big version of the rock. And Devin came to Christ, of course. He was baptized. And uh, we helped train him to share the gospel. Matt, you were involved with that. Helped share the gospel. And he went on a uh, mission trip. And when he got back, I sat him down and said, Devin, how many times did you get to share the gospel at this Beach Reach mission trip? He said, I averaged 35 times a day. I said, you shared the gospel 35 times a day? My church ought to fire me and hire you. <laughs> 35 times a day. He said, I did. He said, we had the opportunity of taking people in the van from wherever they needed to go. Instead of walking, we took them. And every time I got people in the van, I'd share the gospel with them. After Devin graduated from high school, or just before his graduation, he had finished his senior year uh, of high school. And uh, he was moving towards in the spring for that May graduation day. And spring football was happening with all the underclassmen that hadn't graduated yet. He went out one day to watch the football practice. And, of course, everybody loved him because he was a great player and and uh, they all looked up to him, obviously uh, looked up to him. And the coach said, hey, Devin, you want to say a word to the team before we're dismissed today? 
He said, what should I share, coach? He said, well, I don't know. It's close to Easter. I might say something about Easter. That coach had no idea how equipped this guy was. <laughs> and so Devin serves the full gospel with about 110 football players that nobody else would have gotten close to. Now, he didn't get to give an invitation. He didn't baptize anybody that day. But every one of those kids went home knowing the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Devin had learned what you just learned. He'd learned to put it to work. He'd learned how important it was. He's in ministry now. What a great story of, of people's lives that are changed because they focus on the gospel or because somebody else helped focus them on the gospel. So fight, focus. Then the last word is finish. Finish. In verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. It has come. Imagine Paul, aged, the key leader of the New Testament church, the primary author of almost all the epistles of the New Testament. Imagine young Timothy, somewhat fearful, because Paul has to say, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, sound minds. He's encouraging Timothy to not be fearful in the face of persecution and difficulty. And a handoff is being made. Paul says, the way I'm going to finish my course is I'm going to give the baton to you. You are the next generation. You're going to take it where I could never go. I love uh, watching YouTube videos of track relay races. You know why I love to watch track relay races? Because I enjoy watching the baton handoff. 400-meter relay, mile relay. I love to watch those runners run around, and then they hand the baton to the next runner. Now, you know what they do? They don't go into the field house and sit down. They don't go sit down and get a drink of water. They stand on the side of the track and cheer the next guy on, don't they? They make the handoff. The next person heads into the race. And before the end of the race, the first three runners are standing there at the finish line waiting for their comrade to come across the line. Paul's doing that with Timothy. He said, Timothy, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm near the end. I'm not going to be here forever. I've done everything I could to make sure that you're ready for this next phase. You've got to take the baton now. And you've got to run with it. I'm going to talk to this group of people right here in this front three or four rows here. Average age, 16. Am I right, Pastor? Close. Close. 16, 15. You know, one of the greatest joys I've seen in equipping people to share the gospel is to watch 15, 16, 17-year-olds grab hold of it and live in a different way because of it. It's been amazing. I thought millennials would maybe not be real open to that and the next generation maybe not real open to that. Here's what I've learned. They want to change their world. And their world needs to be changed, by the way. They want to change their world. And if you give them a tool by which they can change their world, which you have when you give them the gospel, they will do it where you and I can't. Our hope is that baton handoff. Now, you're in a great church here, but I bet the average age of the church is a whole lot more than 15, 16 years of age. 
It may be trending up to 50 or 60. I don't know what it is. The average age of the average church is trending older. And one day, some of those senior saints won't be there anymore. And they may have been faithful with the gospel for 40 years, but they, they won't be there anymore. We have a deacon in our church that's 95 years old, pastor, 95 years old. Sweetest, kindest guy I've ever met in my life, 95. But he's had to hand that baton off years ago. And when you hand the baton to the next generation, you get the fire of the next generation. You get the passion of the next generation. You get the incredible vision of the next generation. That's what Paul's doing. Literally, Timothy, this is yours. I'm going to hand it off to you. And the power of this is this. I've come to believe this with all my heart. The gospel has enough power to change the world. It has enough power to change the world. Now, I know we're all sick of politics, but let me tell you something. Politics is not going to change this world. Putting on a show in church will not change this world. All the community service in the world, as good as it is to lay a platform for sharing the gospel, will not change the world apart from the gospel. The gospel, though, has enough power to change the world. And that's why it's so incredibly important that we fight for it, focus on it, and that we finish well with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People gripped by God with a passion to pour their lives out for the sake of the gospel will make a difference in the future of the church of Jesus Christ until he comes. That's the way it works. And you guys on these first few rows, you're the hope of the future because you're the ones that have the passion, the zeal, the drive, and you're surrounded by people that have never heard the good news before, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I challenge you, find out what it's all about. Find a way to become well-versed in the gospel, and God will use that in a huge way. You know what the key to our success is going to be? I believed this uh, about five or six years ago and began to really put this in my life. The key to our success is training an army of people who are well-versed with the gospel. We teach them how to have great marriages, how to have great relationships. We teach them how to do well with money and everything else. But if we miss the part about sharing the gospel and equipping them with the gospel, we have failed to train them adequately. It's got to be gospel-centered. And when we do that, we change the world with that. With COVID, we have to start over, many people are saying. I, I don't know if you've heard the experts, but the experts in church life say, uh, you're never going to get them all back. I don't know what you're at, but we're at about 45% of our people that were attending pre-COVID are now attending now. 45%. That means 55% are not attending. They're, they're watching online, perhaps, but they're not attending. And, and experts in the church world say, you can pretty much know that many of those will not come back. If they've not come back yet, they will not come back. It's almost like you're starting over again. But that may be one of the best pieces of news we'll ever have. We're watching people come to faith in Jesus uh, that, that we didn't know before the pandemic, that are now coming out of the woodwork during the pandemic, and they want to know what it means to be involved in a church. They don't care how big it is, how many people are in the pews. They just want to know, how do I live this life? And we're having the time of our life with that. Don't worry about those that won't come back. There's not much you can do. Reach the ones that have never come before. Share the gospel with those that have never heard before. And then welcome them Adopt them into this incredible forever family. I mean, I've had an incredible time in here tonight worshiping with you, watching the spirit of your congregation, understanding the heart of your pastor, 
and some of these that led on the stage. It's probably one of the best kept secrets in Longview, Texas. And you have 80,567 people around this church. You're kind of in the middle of town in a sense. And you have all these people who may have never heard before without your witness. I hope you're kind of like my wife. I hope that when you feel uncomfortable about maybe an absence of gospel involvement, it says, I need to be uncomfortable. I need to fight through that. I need to step up. One last story. I, there's, a, there's a lady by the name of Sue that years ago I trained to share the gospel. She was on my team, and this is when I first became a pastor. And Sue was, uh, I would have considered her elderly back then. I was 28 or 9, and, and she was older, and uh, I think she was 90-something when she passed away a couple of weeks ago. I saw her obituary uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, it was actually on Facebook, and that's where she lived in Oklahoma. And I remembered training her to share the gospel. And I remembered that we walked through the process of helping her know mentally what the gospel uh, said and what it was about. And it was her night to share. We were going to go share with a couple, and it was her night to share. And she gripped the side of my door. I was driving. She gripped the side and said, I can't, I can't get out of the car. I said, Sue, you have to get out of the car. No, I can't get out of the car. And you can't make me. She gave me the stern grandma look. You know, you can't make me. And I said, Sue, we've got to pray through this. We, we've got to pray through this. These people need Jesus, and we have an appointment with them. They're here. And you just go as far as you can in sharing the gospel. I'll rescue you if I need to. She was crying. She was shaking. She was afraid. And we just spent some time in prayer. And uh, finally she nodded her head. Uh, it reminded me of a, uh, of a bareback bronc rider. You know, that was, it gets the rope around the head and then they nod their head. Okay, let's go. That's what she was doing. And we opened the door and she got up to the door. And instead of me knocking on the door, she knocked on that door and a couple opened. And she goes, we've got some good news to share with you. Can we come in? She goes, yeah, we expected you. So we came in and Sue shared the gospel. When, when she got through, she did it beautifully. She did an amazing job. And when she got back and got into the car, uh, she said, you know, just getting through that fear, just getting through that fear, that's what I had to do. She said, I'll never stop sharing now that I've gotten through that fear. You know, that's the way it works. Once you break that ice, once you learn to share the gospel, prioritize it in your life in context of relationships, you'll never go back to not sharing the gospel. Simply because the power of it has such a profound impact on you and those around you. So fight. Focus. Finish. Hand the baton off. And make sure that those that go after us are well-versed, well-equipped, well-encouraged to share the gospel. Start a movement here. A movement of the gospel. You know, going outward from this location and the location of your home. Going outward so that all would know about Christ. I want you to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes. You know, it's not lost on me that there may be some in the room that have never heard the gospel before. Maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you're here and you've never really understood what that gospel is. And, and I would say to you tonight, the most important thing to do is to ask yourself the question, have I ever given a personal response to what Jesus did on the cross? Have I responded in repentance and faith? And if I have not, 
that means that I'm still without Christ. And yet tonight, if that's where you are, you can come to Christ by making a personal response to him. In just a moment, your pastor will come up and give some instructions after I pray. But first of all, I want you to know you can come to Christ tonight. Others in this room tonight are going to be thinking about lost neighbors, lost friends, that person that lives down the street. Some of you are going to be thinking about lost loved ones, lost relatives, and you should be. And some of us are going to be a little bit convicted about our absence from sharing the gospel, our unwillingness to move that way. Some of us may be convicted that we're not really doing anything to help the church move forward in its corporate witness. Whatever it is that God speaks to you about, I want you to respond tonight. I want you to fight through whatever you have to fight through to get to the focus of letting Christ use you. Some of you in this room may actually be thinking, you know, I would share the gospel, but the way I live is kind of canceling that out. And I don't, I don't know if I want to share the gospel because my life is not aligned yet. And you probably need to repent of some things, turn, turn away from some things and say, my life needs to count more for the gospel than it has been. Talk to somebody about that tonight. You won't find condemnation. You'll find grace and encouragement and prayer and answers. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask your pastor to pick it up after that. He'll give instructions about how we respond tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you are so good. Your gospel is so clear. Your offer is always there. Tonight, for all who would say, I've never personally responded to the good news, help them do that tonight. Help them be courageous and bold and to lay aside everything that holds them back and just say, I'm going to make the decision tonight. Help them do that. Father, for others here in the church that are believers and have not advocated the sharing of the gospel or been a part of sharing with their neighbors and friends, Lord, speak to them in some way and let them respond by saying yes to you, to your great commission, helping them willing to be, be fighters, be focused, and to finish well. Lord, one day when I finish, I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to hear that, but we must first serve. Lord, tonight, your spirit has been in this room throughout our worship time, our prayer time. As we open the word, that your word will never return void. Tonight, let it happen in individual lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.